Welcome to the Basic Scotland podcast series. These are brief snapshots of topics relevant to pre-hospital care, predominantly within Scotland, and some deep dives into specialist areas with experts from a wide range of disciplines. My name is Dave Strachan. I'm an Army Surgical Registrar, a Basics Responder, and a Mountain Rescue Doctor. We at Basic Scotland are very grateful to NHS Education for Scotland for all of their support with these podcasts. Joining us today, we have Fiona Stevenson. Fiona hails from the Stirling area, and she works as a child protection consultant for the NSPCC Scotland. She's a registered mental health nurse and does some foster caring in her spare time, so I think it's fairly child-focused, if that's fair to say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on and chatting to us. Thank you for inviting me. Child protection is one of those, I guess, uncomfortable topics that all of us know that we need to know a little bit about, but... I guess the first question is, how much of a problem is it? Can we put figures on this kind of thing? I think we can put figures on it. I think it's quite a difficult arena, if you want, in terms of suddenly giving you high numbers and things like that, because we need to put that into proportion of, of children in Scotland. But we do tend to see around about one in five children may have experienced some form of abuse in their lifetime. And if you consider that in terms of a classroom, so that's like maybe four or five children, perhaps, in every class. So it's there. It's sometimes predominantly hidden. And I think that's where perhaps the work of the responders would come in, in terms of what they may see, what they may identify, without it perhaps being in the higher realms of the protection arena, but more in the welfare and the well-being of their children and young people that they may come into contact with. It's interesting. I guess it highlights the fact that this is very much a spectrum from the cases that you might see on the news of horrific abuse, right down to families that just aren't quite coping and need a little bit of extra support and welfare of children might be suffering a bit, but it's not dramatic. Yes, absolutely. If you consider what we have in Scotland to protect your children and young people, so we have a framework that's referred to as GERFIC, and that refers to getting it right for every child and this is a universal framework for every child in Scotland and within that what's identified is that children have rights not only within the GERFIC framework but also within the UNCRC which identifies that children's voices need to be heard and listened to. So within the GERFIC framework they refer to what's called Shinari indicators um, and what that means is, is that every child in Scotland has the right to be safe, has the right to be healthy, achieve and nurtured active, respected, responsible and included. And this, if you want, is the overarching approach to support the delivery of all the work that we do for children and young people. And perhaps that's where some of the responders might actually identify some concerns. It's those children and young people that just sit underneath the spectrum of perhaps um, child protection register or the higher spectrum end of statutory services. And perhaps that's where we consider the welfare and the well-being of, of children and young people in Scotland. Again, it's focusing on the fact that this is a, a spectrum and B, in my head, thinking about child protection type jobs, there would be things mm -hmm. where I'd be going to a kid who was, you know, had a, a non-accidental type injury. But like, from what you're saying, it sounds like actually maybe the scope to pick these up are perhaps jobs where the child isn't necessarily the patient that we're going to see. The thing is, is to remember is, is that children need adults to support them. Scottish Government are very much around about no matter what the focus is of your work, whether it be adults or children, you still have a responsibility to support children and young people and keeping them safe. So perhaps you were called out to a casualty who was an adult 
but they have children in the house. And that's where you have to identify whether you can see any concerns, if you have anything. We often refer to it as like a niggle. If something just doesn't feel right, it may be you're observing behaviour between them or you may be aware of other things that's kind of going on in the household that you just kind of observe. And what's really important then is, is you kind of take stock of that, perhaps to be able to go and take advice and to speak to someone or when you're handing them over to perhaps the ambulance staff. So yes, it's not necessarily about your focus needs to be or your patient needs to be the child or young person. Your patient could actually be the adult. Um, but obviously adults have children and that's where our responsibility comes in around about that. It's one of the things that, that often strikes me is that we have quite a privileged position in that you know folk invite us into their houses on what's often the worst day of their lives and you get that snapshot that maybe teachers and school nurses and folk who we think of as being very child focused don't necessarily see absolutely if you think around about this being an emergency situation you're arriving in a house where it's not been tidied it's not been cleaned where actually the family haven't kind of set themselves up for perhaps someone coming to visit them whether it's statutory teacher social work whoever around about that so you may have that window of opportunity around about emergency services where you observe or see something that just isn't right and that's where I think the responsibility of the responders are to make sure that they share that information with appropriately perhaps ambulance when they come along speak to someone else within the organization or even call NSPCC helpline where they can just chat over and discuss about what it was they've seen we often see that people don't want to take that on board or they're scared that they get it wrong our advice is it's better to get it wrong than doing nothing at all. Because ultimately, if you get it right, then you're helping that child to move away from perhaps an abusive situation, an unsafe situation where they may be living. So it's a big responsibility, but it's a really, really important one. I guess it ties back to what we were saying before in terms of it being a spectrum of response as well, in that it might be that what this family needs is some more support. So your raising of that concern actually enables them to access that support or it's not necessarily going to be breaking up the family and having the children taken away that's very much the extreme end of the spectrum yes absolutely totally if you think around being people think that social workers take kids away but they're not they're there to support families and absolutely what we're trying to do is to support families stay together and prevent them landing in a situation of crisis early intervention if you want around about the work that we want to do so that's where perhaps some of the signs of welfare and well-being, if they're identified before we get to crisis, which is where your responders might be, then actually that might be where support and help is be able to offer to families. Family life is difficult. Anybody who has children, it's hard. They don't come with a book, if you want, of instructions. And it is sometimes families reach crisis. Things happen in their lives. Families split up or there's deaths in a family or there's other things kind of going on. Trauma. And if we can get in to support families at an early stage, then we aim to keep them together. That's that's the whole ethos of keeping children and families together. But there are times perhaps when things become a crisis and, and things may end up on the statutory services for the family to support the children and ultimately to keep children and young people safe. Now, it would be fairly ludicrous to try and create an exhaustive list of what we're looking for. But I guess I might get you to just give a couple of examples of that kind of spidey sense, things not quite looking right, just things that folk can have in their heads as triggers. 
I think a lot of it's about the observation. So obviously the responders, when they arrive to an incident, will observe the situation, will look around them and see what's going on. But actually it's about the behaviours, if you want, between perhaps the child and the adult that they may be treating. There's obvious signs if you think about physical abuse where there may be bruises or all over the child's body or in strange places. But it's the subtle ones, if you want, around about perhaps does the child appear fearful in front of the adult? How does the adult speak to the child? Is there a bit of respect there? Does their child appear to be quite healthy, looked after, cared for? What about the environment? How is the house? Does it seem safe for children and young people? Um, does it seem appropriate? I think one of the big things we have to do consider around about children who may be neglected, though, is, is the impact of low-income and poverty on families across Scotland, particularly with the pandemic as well. So there's a big difference between willful neglect, where the family chooses not to feed the child, to poverty or impact of a low income where the family are struggling to feed themselves. And we know that through use of food banks, but it's just those niggles, something doesn't seem right. Categories of abuse that we identify aren't easy to see. They can be difficult to identify in terms of signs. But if you just identify unusual behaviours or, or, or fear between the adult and the child or the child trying to speak to you or, or whispering or trying to kind of be quite shy and scared from the way the parents are treating them, then that's the big thing that you would see. It's not something that we could give an exhaustive list of, but it's a niggle and it's something just not right. And when you leave that house or when you move on to perhaps the next job, if that niggle is sitting there with you, if you go home with it, if you just feel something's not right, you have to do something about it. And that's what we would give the advice of is make sure you speak to someone, take advice, have that conversation. And it goes back to better to get it wrong than do nothing at all. Absolutely. And if you do nothing at all, that niggle isn't going to go away. And that's it's just going to sit go and pave it away in the back of your head. We've worked with people where they haven't done anything and it turns out they were right. And that's a heavy burden to carry a heavy burden to carry and that's why we always say don't worry about getting it wrong because it's better to get it wrong. Okay so let's say we've gone to a job for an adult and we're sort of in the process of handing over the adult and there's something as you say a niggle that is just not sitting right. Whilst we're at the job is there anything that we can do, should do, should avoid doing? Is it worth speaking out the time and asking how things are or is it worth just writing it out and raising that concern afterwards? I think one of the things to do is again it's about assessing the situation you're in. You can't go straight in and ask questions in a direct manner. You know the responders are not there to investigate concerns. It may just be that they listen to information. They may ask the child young person are you okay? Is there anything, you know, that I can do for you? You know, and try and reassure them while they're there to keep the situation quite calm. Your child or young person, if they're observing an incident going on with a parent, might be quite traumatic as it is. But it's really just about calming the situation. Unless you would identify immediate danger, where then you would want emergency services to come in if the ambulance are coming. It may be the police. But if you don't see an immediate danger in front of you, then you would have to assess the situation, check that everything's all kind of calm, and perhaps speak to the ambulance staff around about it so that you're passing on that information. 
and then what you may want to do is, is, is just to check later on if you can, phone up the helpline, just to check that you think that you've done the kind of right thing. Um, it may be that you have to record that in some way to take that further if something comes out of it. Um, and that's something within the responders that we're going to be looking at in terms of making sure that that's there. But if it's niggling you, speak to someone and do something about it. But don't feel you have to go in and ask hundreds of questions because that is not helpful. It's not helpful in terms of taking the child forward or in any investigation that needs to take place. That's interesting and offsets the burden a bit because if all we're needing to do is identify the niggle and then raise the concern and actually there's not a sort of a whole list of things that we need to do on scene, it makes it much more achievable, I think. Yes. Yes, this isn't about phone film. This isn't about, you know, numerous phone calls. This isn't about anything. We always talk around about how, and this is a big one for your responders, is that they may just have that last wee bit of the jigsaw. So teachers might have had a concern, nurseries might have concerned, other people might have had a concern about this child, but not being able to get the full information. And the information you might get just might be that last wee piece of the jigsaw that's required to support that family and get them the help and support that they require without it becoming a crisis. And that's where it's really important that if you have that feeling, that you make sure that you share that with any of the ambulance staff that can come along or other organisations that can come along so that they would then be able to take that forward and continue that conversation in terms of making sure that the child is safe at that time or to add anything to it if they then went on to observe anything. One of the big concerns that a lot of clinicians have speaking particularly to sort of outside agencies and I guess to an extent the NSPCC would fall into this is the concern around privacy and confidentiality because you're including a whole host of folk in something which might be a niggle that may or may not come to anything. Child protection trumps data protection. In order to keep a child safe if we have to break that then we have to break that because ultimately as adults we are responsible for keeping children safe. So in terms of feeling that you're then breaking that confidentiality you're not if it is a child protection concern that you actually have. And it's really, really important that we don't allow data protection, GDPR and all that, to then mask um, any concerns we have for children and young people. So never, ever be afraid. And I think that's one of the reasons why we always say, take advice, never, ever feel that you have to do this on your own. Phone the helpline, phone the local social work department and just talk through what your concerns are and they will then support you as to what you should do next around about it. It's not around about going to everybody and anybody. It's on a needs-to-know basis um, and then sharing the information. It's about find who your person is that you're going to speak to, take advice, and then act on it. In a basic, specific context, there's also the ability to reach out and discuss this with the responder support clinicians who yes. may not have the definitive answer, but can certainly point you in the right direction as to how to raise this and where to go with these concerns. And I think it's really important that responders know exactly who it is within the organisation that they reach out to, to have that conversation. They should never, ever feel that they're left on their own. They have to take that responsibility. As an organisation, they have to take it as a responsibility. So yes, absolutely. Make sure responders know who that person would be. Make sure they can have that conversation. Make sure that they get the support that they may require as well ongoing because they may actually observe something that may require further interventions further down the line in terms of them recording and notifying what it was that they've seen. So it's important to keep our children and young people safe, but it's also um, important that we keep 
in your instance, the responders safe and supported in terms of highlighting and bringing forward any concerns that they have. Also goes across to adults as well. It's very similar in terms of the situation. But children need us. They need adults. They need us to observe things and see things and speak out for them because they may not have the confidence or the competence to do that. So us as adults need to hear children. We need to listen to children. We need to observe and see any concerns that we have. And we have to take the steps that's required to, to keep them safe. To round it off, you mentioned before the, the importance of documenting things. You know, it's a subject that we bash on about fairly regularly, but I guess these cases really are ones where you need to make sure that what you've seen and the specifics of your concerns are, are well written up. Yes, it's very important, I think, if further down the line, this ends up in a court of law. It, very much in terms of our clinical aspects of the work that we do as well, and where we may have to refer back to notes that we've taken when we've had concerns. So it's really important to make sure that you write down what you've observed and who you've spoken to and perhaps what the next steps are. If you're going to make a judgment, you would have to make sure you're in my judgment, this is what I felt, you know what I mean, that this is what I thought that I observed, this is what I thought that I've seen. And I guess that's where you want to make sure that you have the right support within the organisation to encourage your responders to really take this as a, a serious issue. Not to get too bogged down with it, not to feel it in every single case, that something's going to be there, but just having that alertness that if they see something that just doesn't feel right, they have to act on it because it's their responsibility to do that. Fiona, we've been getting all of our presenters to give us three top tips to take away from these podcasts. What are your thoughts in terms of three things for responders to have in their heads when they're going to that next job? I think my top three tips would be, one, as I've said, don't worry about getting it wrong. It's better to get it wrong than do nothing at all. Be curious seek advice seek advice from within the organization or again from nspc helpline that is there it's a free phone line that's there or local social work department if you feel that it's support you further and remember that children need adults to help keep them safe they need us to be a voice for them and they need us to hear them and take that forward to support them fiona that's fantastic and sage advice thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us today thank you very much it's been a pleasure that's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.